Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. We're not going to just let that pass by. Ladies, whether you adopted, whether you had your own children, whether you're a spiritual mother is what we're going to talk about today. Happy Mother's Day. Now, a few months ago in March when I was blocking out the sermons for uh, Redeemer and then the church plant, I, I wrote this text down as the afternoon sermon. And what doesn't usually happen is I do their sermon here. Usually it's they, they're, they're completely separate. But the text that I had chosen for today, not realizing it was Mother's Day, was Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. That just is where we were in the, in the Titus series I'm doing there. And I thought, perfect, let's talk about spiritual motherhood on Mother's Day. Look at that. I don't, I don't tend to do this sort of evangelical thing where we do a Mother's Day sermon, but this was just too, too nice to pass up. So if you have a Bible, turn with me in Titus chapter 2. And we'll be looking at verses 3 through 5. But before we do that, let us pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the ministry of Titus in Crete and all the work that he did there. uh, And for this instruction that Paul gave him, Lord, that gives us a great uh, insight and understanding of how the church is supposed to function, how it's supposed to be structured, and and what the, the Christian life is supposed to look like. I pray, Lord, as we open this text now, that you would um, open our hearts and minds to receive it, that we would be, uh, that our role in the church would be clarified, that uh, the Christ would be clarified in our eyes, that we would serve you better. We pray, Lord God, that you would comfort us and convict us and turn as we need, and that you would go before us and bless us by your word this morning. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, and amen. Now, this is what Paul wrote to Titus in chapter 2. Verses 3 through 5 of his book. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, the book of Titus is about setting the church in order. That's what the whole letter is. Uh, Titus was in a, a town called Crete, which was a little unruly. The saints there were a little unruly. And so Paul is instructing Titus in how to put things in order. And one of the things that um, we have to understand about this letter is that its rhetorical style is very specific. It's very, very short and punchy sentences all the way through. Because what it's supposed to do is instruct Titus, remind Titus of things he already knows. So Titus had been working with Paul. He worked with him in Corinth. He went on missions with him. He, uh, he sent Titus here, there, and everywhere. They had been working together for a long time. So he doesn't need to write Romans to him. He simply needs to write a book like Titus where it's just a bunch of little notes that remind him of other things. And, th- and that's going to play into this section because it's just this very short, choppy s- sentence about what, how he ought to train older women to train younger women. But in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, we get the theme of the whole book. Titus chapter 1, verse 5, this is the theme. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order. So that's what the whole book is about. Everything that he tells Titus is because he wants him to put the church in order. Now in Crete, God's daughters were living amid an ungodly culture. To put the young ladies in good order... The ministry of the elders and the intentional ministry of the older women were required. That's, Paul, Paul is dealing with a great deal of difficulty with the Cretans, both men and women. And when it comes to the young women, he says, okay, here, we're going to have elders over them. 
And then, okay, now elders, what you're going to do is you're going to train the older women on how to train the younger women, and that's how we're going to get this community in order. Paul called for the older women to model godly character, to teach what is good. And and what I love about this section is it defies some of the bad theology we have about women in the church and teaching and speaking publicly. He's telling them to teach what is good, teach what is good to the younger women in the context of what? Their homes. See, so what this does is it puts boundaries on what we're talking about. But the home in first century Rome is not the home of 2022 middle America. That is one of the things that we're going to cover. When I say home, we think, oh, like this suburban home where I have a guy that does the lawn and a maid that comes on Tuesdays and I buy all my food at Safeway. That's not the home that he is talking about. Now, spiritual motherhood is, in a word, discipleship. That's what this is all about. It's a woman's response to the Great Commission. It's about teaching younger women to observe everything that Christ has commanded. It covers the spectrum, everything from evangelism to nurturing others to spiritual maturity. Paul wants the older women to show the younger women what godly womanhood looks like in everyday life. God calls on women to be spiritual mothers to his daughters who are to also be their daughters. This is what, and, and we're used to this. Paul is constantly telling men to treat the younger men like their sons. And, and if you go through Paul's epistles, he's always telling the men, treat them like sons, raise them like your own sons. Like I raised all these spiritual children, raise your spiritual children. And what we fail to recognize is that he's saying the same thing to the women. You have spiritual children, and what you're supposed to do is raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Spiritual motherhood is not a second-rate role given to women who are unable to have biological children. It's not like, oh, you know, I don't know what to do with this lady because she doesn't fit the mold. And so you know what we'll do is we'll use Titus 2 to tell her what she's supposed to do. That's not what it's about. Spiritual motherhood is the high calling that God puts on every Christian woman because God's way has always been to pass his truth from believer to believer. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-2. through two. It says this, you then, my child, he's talking to Timothy, you, my child. But Timothy's not his child. Oh, he's his spiritual child. So see, this is the way that Paul addresses Christians. And, and, and I'm, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. Part of the problem in the age in which we live is that a man stands here and tells you what men say to other men about a man named Jesus. And, and I think what we have lost because, because we have this war of the sexes, is the understanding that he is speaking both to men and to women. So I, I, if I were a Christian woman in the modern world, I would be like, oh, the boys are talking again about the boy issues, and so I'm going to just check out and stop listening. But what we have to understand is that though the ministry comes through men, it's not only for men. It absolutely isn't. Paul is a spiritual father, He wants the men in the church to be spiritual fathers, and he wants the women to be spiritual mothers. And and you go about being a spiritual mother the same way that the men go about being a spiritual father. So we've got to engage the text differently and get past this war of the sexes. I'm going to go back now to 2 Timothy. Now that I'll get off my soapbox and I'll go back to the pulpit. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. 
You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to, I'm going to change the words of this just a little bit. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful women who will be able to teach other women also. And we have to understand that's what it means. Now the function of elders in a community is to model for Christian, the, the Christian behavior for both men and women under their authority. It's not a boys' club. All are entrusted with a grace that must be taught to others. If you're a mother to your children, if you're a father to your children, if you're a husband to his wife, a wife to her husband, a sister to a sister, a brother to a brother, a spiritual mother to a spiritual daughter, a spiritual daughter to a spiritual mother. We've got to open the word of God and we've got to let it loose and we've got to let it have its full effect on all of us in every station that we find ourselves all Christians must pass truth from generation to generation. As it says in Psalms one, Psalm, sorry, 145, verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. One generation declares it to another generation. A whole generation. Not the men to the men. The generation to the generation. Now, ideally, in almost every season of life, the same woman may be both an older woman and a younger woman, teaching those younger than her and learning from those older than her. If you are 80, if you are 50 with grown children and not yet a grandmother, if you're married and young and don't have children, if you are single, if you are a single teenage woman, a single middle-aged woman, if you are 12, if you are 8, if you are 50, I don't care. You are someone's spiritual mother, someone's spiritual sister, someone's spiritual daughter. And in some cases, I love the ladies in the house, but you're someone's spiritual grandmother as well. Okay, I know we don't actually have any 80-year-olds in here, right? Everyone's 39. I get it. <laughs> I, was, I was raised in modern America. I know how I'm supposed to talk. You could be a spiritual older sister and mother and daughter simultaneously. For spiritual mothers... Paul instructs them in four aspects of behavior. Notably, these are arranged so that two positive virtues, bracket two vices, often associated with the loose behavior of Roman women. Now, loose, the loose behavior of Roman women, I say that phrase, if, if you study history, they are a loose bunch of gals. You know what they're like? They're like modern American women because there's nothing new under the sun. Right? Modern American women are not any different than Roman women. They are worldly, they are lustful, they, are, they do not want to remain at home, they want uh, beauty to be measured by whatever is fashionable and in vogue, they don't want to be you know, tied down, they want independence, they want to own property, they want to be their own woman. There's nothing new under the sun. So when I say the behavior of loose Roman women, just think loose American women and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. This, this context is not hard. I don't got to dig deep into uh, Josephus and start talking about history here. Just, just imagine what's on TMZ. Okay? Go down to the mall and you see the Roman woman everywhere. Now, what was going on in Crete is interesting. We're not going to go too far in it, but I just want to give you an idea of what's the problem. 
what's the, the cultural context in Crete was, what was not that specific. It's very common, as I'm saying, but this is, this is what they're dealing with. It says in Titus chapter 1, Paul had explained what the issues are. So if you look at verses 12 through 16 of chapter 1, this is, this is the problem in Crete. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And then he says, go find some to make elders out of. <laughs> and you think, okay, well, he's generalizing. That's always helpful to know. But he's quoting one of their own prophets, right? He turns on Pop 40 radio and he says, oh, look, right? You, you got to serve somebody. They're knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. He starts quoting the, the guys that you would hear on the radio. Their own poets say this of them. They are a bunch of beasts, unfit for anything. Now, what has happened is that the gospel has gone to Crete, and, and some of the people feel the liberation in, in the Lord Jesus. And so what they're doing now is they're saying they're free because they're free in the Lord. That's one of the problems that they're having. And, and Paul addresses this in other epistles. It's a problem that is very common when Christians uh, first come into the faith. I remember this. I remember thinking, okay, now I'm, I, it says right here in the word of God, everything is lawful, but not everything is wise. And I was like, Everything? Everything? Sweet. No rules. And there was quite a while there where somebody had to sit me down and be like, no, there are actual rules. Okay? You're not free to just do whatever you want. And so some of the people are feeling quite liberated. Some of the people are being um, sucked into the sort of Cretan culture that they have there as Cretans apart from the gospel. And what, what it's doing is the opponents of Paul and the true gospel are saying, look at those people. Look at those people. This is the gospel that Paul's preaching. This is, he's saying, right? He said that Moses is not a thing anymore. He said the law of God is not a thing anymore. And all the accusations that get directed towards Paul in Crete come from the behavior of the Christians who, who think their liberty means that there are no laws for them anymore. They're antinomians is the word. They, there's no law. Eat, drink, and be merry for Jesus is king. Uh, you guys may have met some Christians like this, right? Um, I'm a Pharisee of uh, Christian liberty because you can, you must, right? You can drink and so you will. You can smoke and so you will. You can eat three pounds of chuck steak and so you will eat three pounds of chuck steak and we'll throw some bacon in there just because we can. It, it is a complex place with complex layers. What you also have are these, these religious people now who are coming in, who are trying to control and put things back in order using false doctrines. So they're using um, Jewish myths and Jewish calendars and, and all these practices that are actually extra-biblical that have nothing to do with the law of Moses. And so you imagine in the Christian, right? Think about it. The loose culture of modern America grabs onto some Christians. And what's the nonsense that you start to hear? Women, all women submit to all men, right? We've got to get this thing in order. So th- this idea even isn't, isn't old. It's, it's current. You have these ultra-Christians, super pious people, applying the word of God in all kinds of 
incorrect ways, right? And, and, and what is said about us? What is said about patriarchy? Well, why, are those thing, why do those things stick? Because there are a bunch of idiot Christians running around telling myths and applying the law incorrectly. And what it does is it's very, it makes it even harder to put things in order. Yes, a wife ought to submit to her husband, and if she thinks, therefore, she ought to submit to all men, then we have a serious problem, and that is a lot of disorder. It's also, when we see this, is men who, think, who tell their wives and their daughters that they don't have their own opinions because he's the head of the home and he'll tell them what to think. Now, I've met men like this, and I'm telling you, they do more damage than atheists. Generally, an, an atheist I'll take. I'll be like, oh, this is easy to deal with. You find a man like this, it's not easy to deal with. And, and this is what's going on in our day, but it's very similar to what was going on then. You have people running fast and loose with the gospel, and in order to put it in order, you have a bunch of people saying things that are not true. And, they're cre- and, and it's making it even harder for Titus and Paul to get things in actual order. Now, the kids in the church are a little unruly. That, that's the problem that Titus has. And when, and when, and when I say... When I say kids in this context, it's the way I'm starting to use it as a 42-year-old. I mean my kids, who go all the way down to the age of five. I mean the 20-year-olds in the room. Sometimes I even mean the 40-year-old men. The kids in the church are a little unruly. And you have this multi-generational thing. And what they need, Paul is telling Titus, is their mommies. They need their mothers. Somebody get me a mom in here so the kids will stop acting out of control. (laughs) And that's what's going on. Now, in, in chapter 2, verse 2, he dealt with the men, right? I'll save that for Father's Day. Today's Mother's Day. So we're going to go to verse 3. They need their mommies. Chapter 2, verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine, and they are to teach what is good. First, they must get their house in order, so that they for, therefore then can teach the younger women how to get their house in order. The term reverent, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. This word applies to the behavior seen in priests and priestesses. That's how the Greek word is always used. It's reverent behavior. The way that a priest or a priestess acts in a temple is reverent behavior. And that's what he wants the older women to have, reverent behavior. It refers generally to behavior that is holy or godly. The priesthood of all believers includes Christian women. They are to be reverent. They are to be priestly. They are to conduct themselves as if what they are doing is something they're doing in a temple. It provides the suitable counterpart to the instruction to older men in which inward realities are linked to externals. He told the older men in chapter 2, verse 2, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So you see a connection there between internal things and external things. It's never one or the other. It's always both. Right? You have this inward dignity. You have this inward hope. You have this inward faith. And what that, how it translates itself is to actual self-control in the real world. And that's what he's saying to the ladies here. You have this inner reality, the truth of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel, the faith, the love, the hope, and how it's supposed to reflect itself, how it's supposed to show itself is reverent conduct 
as if you're working in a temple. Because what are, what are Christians? They are the temple of the Lord. So we're supposed to be conducting ourselves as if we live in the temple of the Lord because we do live in the temple of the Lord. Now, the role that he's calling these women to includes modeling and mentoring in areas ranging from domestic responsibilities to personal godliness. Paul entrusts to these older women a very significant educative responsibility within the context of the household. It pictures the older women, those who were experienced in godly behavior, experienced in faithful living, who know what a good marriage and godly child-rearing consists of, taking the younger women in the congregation under their care and helping them to learn their responsibilities. How do I make sourdough? How do I get my kid to go to the bathroom in the toilet? (laughs) What do I do about uh, my my kids keep getting sick and I don't understand what it is? Do you know what this food that we're eating is made of? And an older woman who has experience be like, oh, don't eat that. That's death. There's death in pot, right, in that pot. And you have older ladies who are supposed to come alongside younger ladies and show them the ropes, show them how to live. It pictures the older women, those who are experienced, showing the younger women who are inexperienced how to live the Christian life. Now, the authority of the older women to teach in the household is established, and we must recall that this teaching, though domestic in nature and culturally respectable, in its patriarchal shape, it's very biblical, very Old Testament-y, involved calling younger women to reject behavior patterns that will include sexual promiscuity, worldliness, drunkenness, loose talk, and imitating the world. You know how God's daughters don't act? They don't do that, whatever that is. And how are you going to know, how, right? And how are you going to know, how are you going to instruct unless you're living alongside people? And parenting is just like this. If if I'm a somewhat absent father, there's time where I'm not around them. I find out later my kids were doing X, Y, or Z, and I don't know. Do you know why I don't know? Because I wasn't there. I wasn't there. And so what you have are younger people in the church running around, acting in particular ways, and nobody nobody knows to tell them otherwise because nobody's living alongside of them. Those who train younger women to be workers at home are those who have successfully run a home. And, and this is one of the first challenges here. Because if you're a woman and you, and you have a household, whether you're married or not, you have a household. You understand like how to plan shopping. You understand how to plan cleaning. You understand how to buy and purchase property, right? If, if, you're, if you're a single woman and you don't have a husband, you've been doing these things all along by yourself. And so do you know how to do them? And, and, you know, (laughs) I have a a daughter, and how is she going to know how to braid her hair unless somebody shows her? Um, She's she's a somewhat tomboy. I don't usually use her as an example. This is her turn, right? And I remember when she started wearing dresses all the time. And then, right, and I was like, whoa, wow, look at that. All kinds of conversations need to occur now because she's not wearing pants as often as she used to. And you're like, and who's going to tell her? And, And who's going to tell her unless it's her parents? That is what, now there are young women, women in the church who are doing things that they need to be corrected on and they don't know they need to be corrected on and you don't know what to correct them because the the women are not living side by side in the way that they ought to. 
the kids need their mommy. And some of the ladies in the church don't have them. They don't have Christian mothers. They don't have Christian sisters. They don't have Christian daughters in some cases. So who's going to be their daughter? Who's going to be their sister? Who's going to be their mother if not you guys? Right? It, <laughs> I love what they're doing in Moscow, but uh, Mrs. Merkel, Rebecca Merkel, can't be everybody's sister. <laughs> Amen. She, it only goes so far. And then the, the ladies need are actual women in their life. And, and I want to talk about what this education includes because we completely misunderstand Proverbs 31. Because what they describe as a productive household, and one of those fruitful things that the woman is doing is raising children. And I go through this in our pre-marriage counseling now. Fruitfulness does not automatically mean the merely raising children. Now, that's the primary meaning in Genesis. But as we see in Proverbs 31, a fruitful home includes all kinds of things. And, and I love it because I love watching my wife be super fruitful using nothing but a buy-nothing group. I'm like, this woman trades and bargains and gets things and gives away things. And I, I'm richer. And all she had to do was some research online. And, and, and I think that kind of thing is included in Proverbs 31. She buys and sells land in Proverbs 31. She cultivates and farms and gardens. No, don't use that pesticide. Don't use that fertilizer. This is how you actually grow tomatoes. Right? Who's going to teach the younger women? Especially now, there's, there's this urge to be like, oh, you know what we ought to do is, is have chickens. And I love this kind of thing because my mom, um, she grew up raising chickens, and now there's all these young ladies at her church who are doing the same thing. She's like, she goes over to the house, she's like, oh, man, oh, look at this. <laughs> this is not how you do this. And so nobody realizes this about her, but she has this skill that she's like, now this is what you do, this is what you buy, this is how you, func- this is how you do it. And, and that's not running around the house with a feather duster. Okay? That's not in the kitchen knocking out sandwich after sandwich, as the world accuses us of. Productivity is what the Proverbs 31 woman is all about. She can tell the difference between good merchandise and bad merchandise. She knows why food coloring is not something your kids should be eating. She knows what that powder in the mac and cheese is. I, I, I don't know, but my wife said that's death in the pot, and so I stopped eating it. She's strong because she works. She's not a delicate wisp. She operates a spindle. She engages in mercy ministry. That's one of my favorite parts there. Who's doing the mercy ministry in the neighborhood? The women. It's it's not deacons. It's the women in the community who are doing the mercy ministry. She engages in, I I think it's called fiber arts. I don't know. (laughs) She's making sweaters. She's making silk. She's making these things and clothing people. She's engaging in wholesale commerce. She's doing all kinds of things that, you, that we modern people do not typically think of when we think of the household. Now, these can be applied in many, many, many ways. There's lots of application, and young women need spiritual mothers who are going to teach them. Not everyone has a faithful mom. Not everyone has faithful sisters. Not everyone has faithful daughters. But here we have an abundance of all three. This church is full of women who are brought together by providence to be spiritual sisters and daughters and mothers to one another. It is a huge ministry opportunity, a huge ministry need. There are young ladies here who need a mother, who need sisters, who need a daughter, and you are going to fill that role for them. 
When Paul refers to these older women in the church, he does not mention their giftings. He doesn't mention their charisma. He, do, he, he talks about their character. He doesn't talk about temperament. He doesn't talk about, well, you know, make sure you give them a test, Titus, and see if they're an extrovert or an introvert. You know, find out their personality. Find out their strengths and weaknesses first because, you know, we don't want anybody doing anything that they don't feel qualified for, said no apostle ever. And that kind of modern nonsense seeps into these sorts of things. We think, well, that's not for me. Right? And what did Paul say? Who's sufficient for these things? He's writing the New Testament. He's like, who's good, at, who's good for this? Nobody's good for this. And, and we tend to use those kinds of personality tests and all that jazz in order to defend ourselves from things we don't want to do. His primary concern is whether the, the older women can model godly womanhood to the younger women through their reverent behavior, wholesome speech, and self-control. Now, because unlike those who profess to know God but deny him by their works, as he says in Titus 1.16, a spiritual mother affirms God's word in her life. Her example corroborates her exegesis, and she can say with Paul, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, 1 Corinthians 11.1. And, and we'll go back to what I said earlier. Paul says that of himself. Be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. As a minister of the gospel, I say the same thing. As I'm an imitator of Christ, imitate me. And, and this is not something for the boys. If you are a Christian, you ought to be able to say the same thing. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now here, let me tell you about a time I didn't imitate Christ. Don't do that. Okay, I, there are parents who tell their kids they were A-plus students and that they never got in trouble. And the kids grow up and find out what? The, kid, the dad mostly got Ds, was arrested on a number of occasions, and was the neighborhood streaker. <laughs> I'm not going to name names. And there's this disillusionment. They're like, oh, you weren't perfect? So what is this 5,000-pound weight sitting on my chest for most of my teen years? And the same thing is true of young Christian women. Oh, you mean your house didn't always look like this? Oh, your food didn't always come out like this? Right? You, 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 you weren't always this jolly. <laughs> there were days where you were not jolly. There were days where you burned the food. There were days where you could not find two socks that matched for anyone. Right? The younger women need to know about that just as much as they need to know that there will come a day where your house can actually look like that. I love my wife very much. We, we have a busy home. And sometimes when we're at my, my mother's house, and I say, I, I'm like, I, I remember what my mom's house was like in the 80s, okay? You're doing just fine, first off. And second off, I can't wait till we also have this. And, and that kind of thing, believe it or not, is something that young women need to hear. A spiritual mother has married her theology to application in difficult life experiences. She has fought the good fight of fluctuating hormones. That's a whole thing all by itself. And I'm not going to speak into that too much because I don't really understand it. But I'm sure that there are some women here who do. And I am sure there are some women here who would like to. She has struggled to love the difficult family member. She has repeatedly traded the lives of lust and overindulgence for love and moderation. She has learned to rule her tongue. She's learned to anchor her emotions to truth rather than the other way around. She has learned how to yield in love to those placed in authority over her. She has learned to apply her joy in the gospel to her practice of forgiveness. 
She has preserved, persevered, I'm sorry, through seasons of unbelief and dryness and depression. She has not lived perfectly, but by God's grace, she's lived faithfully. We are not looking for perfect examples. We have one, both the men and the women. His name is Jesus Christ. That role has been filled. We don't need anybody else to be perfect for a number of reasons. One, it's impossible. And two, right, even, I, I, even if you could be perfect, you still wouldn't be perfect like Jesus is perfect. I'm sorry. Even, in that, even if you could pull it off, he'd be like, yeah, it's still, no, no, it just, there's not as much glitter to your perfection. We are not looking for perfect people. We are looking for people who are faithful. Perfect people need not apply. Okay? In fact, if you're not perfect, you are perfect for this job. And that's what I find all the time as a parent. You know why I'm the perfect parent for these kids? Because I'm not perfect. And I'm going to just let you go away and find out what that <laughs> Go forth and find out what that means. The problem is not that we lack such women in this church to fill these roles. It's not even that we're lacking women doing it. But I would not say that this would describe the women's ministry of Redeemer Church in its totality. How a woman has endured failures and successes is why she's called to this. Younger women don't need older examples who have it all figured out and who do it all perfectly. They need older women who are faithful to their Lord Jesus and that our church, Spirit Redeemer, is chock-a-block full of those women. And the problem is they don't think they are. They think, well, I failed. Well, I, I'm just not that, I, you know, I'm not that good at explaining the word of God. I'm not that good at teaching. I'm, I'm not, I have all kinds of problems in my own life. I'll guarantee you right now, if you're a Christian for any length of time and you're 50, you are much, 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 much further down the maturity road than one who's 25. If you are a seven-year-old, you are much, 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 much further down the road than a five-year-old. And a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and I think everyone gets the point. And we think somehow when we get to adulthood that it's not true anymore. But, I mean, would you put a 10-year-old in charge of a three-year-old or the other way around? Why? The 10-year-old is not mature compared to a grown-up, but a 10-year-old is going to be more mature than a three-year-old. Be like, yeah, don't touch that. Don't eat that. It's not enough to be a sterling but silent example when a seductive culture is fighting for the hearts and minds of the younger women. And it, and it is a war. And, and, and we think, well, you know, women don't go to war. And you're, you're correct, right? Please, if you're a woman, I'm not going to put a uniform. We, we should not be putting uniforms on you and putting you in tanks and airplanes. But there is this other war that you are all engaged in that you need to wake up to and see it as it for what it is, and get more engaged with the process. There is a war for the hearts and minds of the women in this church, and some of you are quite experienced at, at, at denying those lies and turning from that and, and, and calling a spade a spade, and what you need to do is teach that discernment to the younger women. Right? If you're in your 20s, there are teens here. If you're in your 30s, <laughs> there are 20-year-olds here. If they're if you're 40, there are, I'm sure there's nobody over 39. But if you're 39 or over, there are younger people. In Titus's time, as well as ours, many false teachers 
must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families. That's what it says in Titus chapter 1, verse 10 through 11. There are people upsetting whole families. Now, let's think about that for a moment. And this is what I love about context. We could get into some of the Cretan details. But we live in an age where this is true. What are they, what are they doing? They're upsetting whole households. They're upsetting gender roles. They're upsetting um, uh, in, like how a woman is empowered or not. How, should children be raised by their parents or the state? Should the nuclear family even exist? How dare you be cisgendered? Right? They're still breaking, the, the goal is still the same. In, in any generation, Satan and this world love to tear apart and redefine womanhood, whether by uh, abuse and oppression, so-called sexual liberation, gender fluidity, or other lies like modern feminism. Modern feminism is one of the lies, but it's not like it's unique. Christian women must not only model but teach sound doctrine so that other women are not deceived by their culture's lies regarding who God is, who they are, and what is good. What is good is always what's at stake. Instructing older women to teach what is good, Paul does not ask them to teach anything new. He says, Paul, what, or, or the reason he's doing this is because he doesn't want them to do something new and fandangled. It's not like, oh, Mike needs to find books now and give it to all the older ladies so they can figure out what this means. If you turn to the word of God, Isaiah 5.20 says, call good what God calls good. Right? There it is in the Old Testament. It's been around a long time. Call good what God calls good. Teach godly affections, Titus 2.4. Teach godly living, Titus 2.5 and 3.8. Teach that God's design and goals for women are good. This is one of the central lies. That book that you have lies to you. And what they want to do is make you a slave. And so what you ought to do is come and be slave to a boss. Right? Then, then we'll be able to raise your children to not be like you but to be like us. We'll have another taxpayer, right? How could this possibly go wrong for the broader culture? Yeah, yeah, you know what we ought to do is tell them that everything in that book is a lie and all that stuff is bad and they shouldn't have a master except for their boss and they shouldn't be a slave except to the state, right? And that, so they'll go to college and get an education they never use, that, uh, piling up debt they can't pay back. So they can go out and in their early 20s, try to have the affluence of their parents at the age of 40. This is, this is the play that's being run on us. And women are buying into it as much as men. If I want to do something for the world, I've got to leave the home. And the Bible says, if you want to do something for the world, stay at home. And run it like a Proverbs 31 woman. Be fruitful and multiply. Take dominion. And the, the plan has never changed and the method has never changed. Now, what I'm not saying are that women that have a job are somehow sinning. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? There, are, there are different phases in life. When you are older and you don't have kids at home, if you are unmarried, there, there's lots of different reasons to work. What I'm talking about is on the front end where we, we're like, oh, we shouldn't be getting married early and having kids early and going out there and, and building a home early. We've got to do all these other things first. And what they do is they attract women away from the home and, and get them into this system that grinds them up. Because I, I was in the workforce in, until very recently. And I remember sitting there at the court where I was one of 18 court clerks that was the only man. And I thought, you know what all these women could use? Is a couple of weeks at home. You know, you know, you know, what, you know what they need to do is they need to go home. A lot of them. 
A lot of them had missed the boat. A lot of them talked about how they wished they would have had more kids or had kids. Some of them talked about how they wished they would have been married and not gone. And, and they get sucked into this thing. I've seen it. I've heard it. And they talk about their boss like this <laughs> slave driver, this master. But then they're like, no, 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 you don't need a master husband. It's ugly out there. And, and young women now, right, when they're sitting there with three kids under the age of five, drowning in, in the glorious life that the Lord has given them, they think, you know what would be nice is to sit in a car alone for a little while listening to the radio. On my way to a job where there's no what? No kids. And that's tempting. And, and, and if you don't think it is, then you don't understand what's going on. You don't understand what's being told us in mass media constantly. A spiritual mother's teaching is not formal and structured. It generally comes simply by sharing life with other women. Whatever the context, spiritual mothers teach from scripture. They show the next generation the ancient paths where the good way lies. Walk in it and find rest for, their, for your souls there. Jeremiah 6.16. I'm going to read it again. The ancient paths where the good way is. Walk in it and find rest for your souls there. Jeremiah 6.16. The old ways, not the new ways. And what are the ancient paths? That's what verse 4 through 5 is all about. What are the ancient paths? Titus chapter 2, verse 4 through 5. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. The range covered by the verb train is broad. It expresses moderating excesses, restoring to the senses, calling someone to responsibility, encouraging, instructing, advising, that's what train means. The teaching is meant to be corrective of cultural lies and cretin excesses. Um, Philo, a Greek author and others, used this verb in the sense of calling people back to their senses. It's a wake-up call. Older women, go and give the younger women a wake-up call. Wake them up. Right? You want to get woke, this is the wokeness that we need. Young women are to love their husbands and children. This compound phrase in English expresses two Greek terms that were often used in Paul's day to describe characteristics highly desirable in a woman. Christian matrons are to assist assist the younger women in the discipline of family love, not, of course, as interfering busybodies, but as humble advisors on problems of married life and parenting. We're going back to that hormone issue as well. Because some of us might be like, why does a woman need to be taught to love Because love isn't emotions, is it? Because an older woman would know. You know what love isn't is an emotion, really. It's actions. It's something that exists no matter what my emotions feel like. And so what's happening to so many young women out there? Well, I just don't love them anymore. You know, I got to take care of me. And we got Adele, of all people, running around out there saying the greatest thing she ever did was divorce her husband because, because it liberated her. And you have some young woman who doesn't know any better, online, reading that crap. And, and what they need is an older woman who's like, now that's a lie right there. You know how, you know what? Yeah, your emotion, you don't feel like it right now, and your hormones are crazy because you just had your third baby in five years, and, and that's a cocktail of fun. And what you need to do is, is, is understand what love is. You need to love your husband and love your home, and what that means is not how you feel about them. 
Women who put their careers before the welfare of their own children are displaying a weakness and narcissism of, of self-care, right, of, of doing their bit for the household, for the culture. And what they need to understand is you know, the best thing they could do is love their husband and love their children. And that has everything to do with what they're doing, not what they're feeling. The specific exhortation given first shows the high value that Paul gave to the congenial and cohesive Christian family unit. Younger women are called to be trained as workers at home. A young married woman's orientation is the home. Paul wants Titus to call men and women back to their God-ordained calling. Christian women must be instructed to put their phones down and take up their Bibles. They must stop with the sidelong glances of envy at the fruitlessness as a blessing crowd. They need to stop judging their beauty by the Met Gala red carpet or Twitter influencers. Their parenting should be directed by God's word and not mommy bloggers. Okay, I've gone online. There's this whole thing called mommy bloggers. And you're like, okay, fine. There are, there, are, there are people with wisdom out there in the world teaching people how to do various things. Fine. Then there's this whole industry of women who are making money because they're promoting products. And that's the motivation. Right? Here's this newfangled thing that's going to make your home just spectacular. Like, you know what would make your home spectacular if you try loving your husband and your children? If you put your phone down and read your Bible more. If you stopped wistfully looking out the window every morning when your neighbor Sally goes to work and you're like, I wish I could go with her. Right? The school bus is free. It just comes right down the, the block. It takes the kids away. Later that night, I come some spaghetti and put them to bed, and I only had to spend three hours with them. And I've heard women talk this way. I've heard it. They're like, yeah, it's so nice. It's so nice. It's like three hours a day. The parenting is so easy. I'm like, when your eight-year-old is 18, let's have a conversation. Right? When they go off the way of the world and they become a train wreck, like most of this world, and they're on pills because they, they can't regulate their emotions, and you don't know them and they don't know you, when, when you get to that stage in life, let's have a conversation about how this was a good idea. It's a sick world out there, and, and women are fighting for their lives, and they're fighting for the lives of their children, and who's going to come alongside and mother them and teach them and care for them and bear their burdens with them if not you? Now, I want to say something that's very important, that all Christian theological discussion concerning the relationships between men and women should begin with this, Galatians 3.28. If I'm going to talk about submission, I'm going to talk about men and women, we have to actually mention this verse. We have to. If we don't, we're doing it wrong. Galatians 3.28, there is neither male nor female in Christ. This equality of the sexes succinctly expresses the attitude of Jesus as seen in his encounters with women in the Gospels, the early church as seen in the role played by women in worship and outreach, as well as the attitude of Paul constantly in his epistles. It's the opposite of what you think. It's not that men and women are not equal. It's that the man is in charge of the woman when they get married. The men are in charge of the church when the church is gathered together. What is, that is not a comment about is equality. And, be, and, 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 what, and this is where there's this huge controversy right now about the, the submission of Christ to his father. Subordinationism, it's called. Well, Christ is clearly not equal to his father because he submits to him. And, and this, this theological issue at the heart of, of the Trinitarian theology at the moment stems from our inability to understand how a woman submits to her husband. I think that's where it started. And it goes all the way now into the heart of, of, of who our God is himself. 
Christ submits to the Father, and yet they are equal. Now, that tells us something about submission. That's something a little harder. That's something a little different. That's something that takes me aback a little. Say, you know what? They're equal to one another, and yet one is willingly submitting to the other one. And if that's what Christian marriage is supposed to be doing, we're doing it wrong. He's joyfully submitting to him. And that does not make Jesus less than the Father. In considering the New Testament teaching on marriage, especially in Paul's letters, the emphasis maintaining the emphasis of maintaining a mutual commitment to an exclusive, intimate, loving, and caring partnership is the basis of, Saul, of Paul's warning all the time. Because even here he says, love your husbands, and then he talks about submission. Because if you just talk about submission, what happens? You get knuckleheaded guys who are like, oh, yeah, it says right here, submit. <laughs> right? And it's all about this raw legalism. If there is no love, right, if there's not actual practical love, not emotional worldly love, but biblical love, if that isn't at the center of a marriage, the submission thing is very dangerous. And as a minister, that's, that's, it, there are times where I'm like, yeah, you know what you ought not to do is submit to him right now. And I just made everyone hopefully a little uncomfortable because there comes a time, right, it's not universal. We talk about how the government ain't universal over me, yo. And then you think you're universal over your wife. You're like, no compute. Here, what is this? No logic. And also, I love it. Paul is clever. He's like, a woman submits to her husband. Right? It's not that women submit to men. And this is the verse that we all need to remember and remember and remember. My daughter doesn't submit to anyone except for me until I hand her off. And then you know who she does? You know where I go in that list? Second. Or not at all. I'm like, you know what, honey? You got someone else that you're submitting to now. If, if my wife submitted to any other man besides me, I would show up at your house, probably not during the day. <laughs> and that's, that's jealousy of God. That's the jealousy that God has for his wife. And that's a jealousy we all ought to have over our wives and over one another's wives, right? Like, hey, listen, I, you got a husband, go get him. I, I, this, this is, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I, I'm, you need to talk to him. You're not, your job isn't what I tell you. It's what does he tell you? Because in Christian ministry, I understand this. People come to me. Well, you know, he doesn't. Blah, blah. I'm like, go talk to him. You're not my, right? This is not how it's supposed to work. You have a guy that you're supposed to listen to, that who's supposed to train you, who's supposed to wash you in the word, who's supposed to present you, and that is the man that you talk to. Okay, you don't go running around submitting to dudes because they're dudes. That's not what God says. Now, here's what I want to do. I, wa- I want to remind us of one important thing that Paul says that, it, that ought to be in, Titus, in the back of Titus's mind while he's reading this. Like I said, this, is, this letter is very interesting because it's full of these short, punchy sentences that are supposed to remind Titus of larger things that he's heard Paul say, other teaching that he's heard. In Galatians 5.13, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And that is what was going on in Crete. People were using their their freedom in Christ to do whatever they wanted. In 
And, and, and in the end here, what he says is, the reason I want you to do this, older women, I want you to be spiritual mothers to younger women, because otherwise they're going to revile the word of God. He's, he's protecting the gospel. He's protecting the ministry of the church. He's like, if, you're, if, you're letting, if the young ladies, if nobody's going to help them get their life in order and their household in order, these other people are coming and destroying the home and destroying the Christian witness. And the church itself, it, you're blaspheming the word of God. That, and that's actually the word in, in chapter 5 um, at the end. It says that the word of God may not be reviled. And that word reviled is blasphemed. So they're conducting themselves in a way where they're blaspheming the word of God. And that should be something that the entire community ought to take seriously. The older women should see what the younger women are doing and say, I, you know, I can't let them blaspheme the witness of Redeemer Church. And so what I've got to do is love them like a mother and train them and nurture them like a mother. And, and what I need are sisters who are going to, to mother and nurture me in the way that, that sisters do. Because sisterhood is even different than mother and daughter relationships. And, we, and, we, and if you're a younger woman and there are older women, there are older women who don't have daughters, who feel alone, who have no one to, to share their folksy wisdom with, no one to pass anything on to. And, 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 and what happens with older people is if they spend too much time alone, the enemy gets a hold of them and they start thinking more about what they failed to do in life than what they did. And they need to pass on what they have learned. And this whole thing lifts up the witness of the entire church. Because there are women in this world who are not of the church, and you know, they're alone. They're alone. And they turn to social media, and they turn to pills, and they turn to fitness, and they're trying to fill holes that they can't fill in other ways. And, and what, wouldn't it be a testimony if they looked at the Christian church and they thought, look at, look at that, that woman's not alone. She has sisters. She has a mother. She has daughters. She's surrounded by women. Like, I, I thought, oh, I thought that was your mom. Oh, that's not your mom. That's just a lady you go to church with. Wow. Now, isn't that a witness? Because I, I love it. I, 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 there are people in this church that um, my people, other people from outside confuse these people from my, my parents. Like, are these your parents? Is this, is this the kid's grandparents? Like, kind of. It's how they, that's how we have a relationship with them, and that's what it's like. And, and that shocks people. Now, in Paul's life, this is the kind of spiritual father he was. And ladies, this is it. This is, I'm gonna, you, you want an example of what this looks like. You're not bereft of one. There is a spiritual parent in the New Testament, and what he did is what you're called to do. Paul knew what it meant to be a spiritual parent. And ladies, hear God's word. Listen, Paul painfully labored to see Christ formed in his children. As he states in Galatians 4.19, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, if you think that Paul is unapproachable because he's a man, here he is using childbirth to describe what's happening to him. Now, I have a hard time understanding what he means here because I've never had a child. But women would be like, wow, Paul, I get you, buddy. I know exactly what that feels like. I know what it feels like. That, that's what it's like, trying to raise this young person into being up into an image of Christ. It's like going through childbirth, all the struggle and all the difficulty and all the anticipation and all the uncertainty as to what's going to happen. 
That's his experience as a spiritual parent. That ought to be your experience as a spiritual parent. Paul gently nurtured them. He shared with them not only the gospel, but his very self, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Now, on Mother's Day, doesn't that hit a little different? Paul's nurturing them like a, like a nursing mother. He's that close to them. He's not just giving them gospel. He's not just giving them letters. He's not just giving them a, hey, I hope that week goes really well for you. He's giving him, them his own self. Right? Just like a nursing mother is giving herself. Paul loved his spiritual children with the affection of Christ. Philippians 1.8 For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Concern for them weighed on his mind. 2 Corinthians 11.28 And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He's thinking of all those spiritual children. And he's anxious for them. How is she doing this week? How, how is she doing with the kids? How is she doing with her husband? How is my sister doing? I, I, anxious for them. 2 Corinthians 12, 15. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? It's mutual. Spending himself for them. He prayed for them on his knees, Ephesians three fourteen to 16. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches for, of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. I am constantly engaged in this debate. Well, why can't women be ministers like men? I'm like, why would you want to be a minister like a man when you can minister to women like this? I'll be honest. Right? Why are women so obsessed with doing it like... We live in a modern culture where women want to do it like the men do it. And look at the way that Paul is talking about his spiritual children. And, and don't you... Right? Doesn't a woman seem more fit for this ministry in a lot of ways? If you want a ministry, it's laid out right here for you. Go through it. Go through the New Testament and look at all the ways that Paul talks about his spiritual children, his spiritual family, and that is what you're supposed to be doing. And, and that is a much, right? That, that is a unique and beautiful and nurturing thing. Suited for a woman. Why would you want to do <laughs> Why would you want to put on this tie, spend nine hours all week writing a sermon, hoping that it doesn't suck, and get up here and you, you, you actually don't offend the person you were trying to offend. And you, and, and you offend a whole bunch of people you didn't mean to. And you don't offend that one guy you were trying to. Why, why would you engage in that game when, you can, game when you can go to someone's house and nurture them? Right? I mean, on some days, I'll be honest with you, if I could choose. And this is the whole conversation. Is, it goes to the very heart of our culture. There's this war between the men and the women, and the women are being convinced all the time that you got to do it like a man until the men show up and beat you at your own. Right? You try swimming now in the NAA. Right? Try try college swimming. Right? Birthing persons. 
what we have got to do is establish what a woman's glory is that as a wife, as a mother, and as a spiritual parent. And Paul tells us what a spiritual parent does. Go and do that. And, and what you will do is you'll not only build up one another, the witness of our church would go forth and it would be glorious. And people will not be able to malign us. And people will not be, there will be things they say about, they don't really care about their own. And be like, oh yeah? Watch. Look at us. So, you know, at whatever stage of life you're in, at whatever age, whatever temperament, whatever maturity level, this is the ministry of the women in, and it ought to be the ministry of all the women in Redeemer Church, collectively. I've said it before, and this is how I'll finish. There are women here who need sisters. They need mothers. They need daughters. And, and if you aren't going to do it, who is? You're equipped to do it. I, I would sit down with every one of you and tell you how you're equipped to do it. The problem isn't you lacking the ability to do it. That's not the problem. I love that my daughter and my wife sit in this church with these women. It's awesome. But what we need to do is, is find out where there is some deficiency in this and do it. You're qualified. And what you've got to do is get your oar in the water and start rowing in the direction we're supposed to be rowing together. That's the ministry of women. It's glorious and nurturing and loving and beautiful. And, and I think that unless, you know, a big part of restoring true biblical understanding of, of, of sexual roles, the roles of men and women, is restoring this. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for Titus and Paul and their ministry. We thank you, Lord God, for your goodness and kindness to us and opening our eyes and seeing these things. I pray, Lord, as the ladies, as they go from here and as they're honored amongst their own families, that they would consider these things, that they would consider how qualified they are to be sisters and daughters and mothers to one another, and that they would, that that, that work that is already going on in this area would continue, that it would spread, that it would build, that we would be a church that nurtures its own, that loves its own, that passes on that distinct and beautiful wisdom and ability of women from one to the other, from generation to generation. I thank you for all the ladies in this church. I thank you for the men who are leading them. I pray, God, that that they would go from here, empowered by your gospel, to take up the ministry that you have called them to and to do it faithfully and well. In Jesus' name we pray and amen.